You cannot do it alone. I'm going to repeat that. You cannot do it alone. And I think for a long time, we think we can. We think we can have goals and dreams and go after it by ourselves. And you can do some of it by yourself, left up to your own abilities, your own drive. And uh, you'll get pretty far. But I think you can do more when you're doing it with some support, with some friends. Um, And it's just more fun. It just is. It just is more fun. That's what we're getting into here in episode 67 of the Generators Podcast here on the Comedy Here Often Podcast Network. Um, Yeah, it's really weird, especially in stand-up comedy. You often think of it as a uh, a solitary activity and career. You go after this thing. You're chasing it. It's you generally alone on stage trying to find your way and uh, forge some kind of path for yourself. And everybody's path in the business looks different. Um, You know, there's some crossover and some similarities amongst careers, but Usually it's a uniquely um, uniquely interesting journey that you take on your own. But what I've realized over the years is that you need to do it with someone else to some degree. You need people in your corner supporting you. And um, when I first entered the comedy world, I was pretty lucky that I uh, started in Calgary back in 2004. And the group that I went into were very, very welcoming. I had friends instantly. And I think a lot of us did when you entered that circle at the time. Everybody was looking to connect. And it was less about ego. It was just a bunch of excited people looking to try stand up for the first time. And we were all looking to encourage one another and support one another. We would help each other write jokes and write bits and we'd get together on um, Saturdays, I remember, at an old bar called The Yard House. It's no longer there, but we'd get there together on Saturdays and write jokes together. You'd put out a premise, and then everyone would help you write a joke or some jokes about that premise. And we'd go around in a circle and kind of do that. And it was great fun. And there was no thoughts of money or career or status or what you're going to do in the comedy world it was just fun to get together with people you liked and write jokes and riff on things and uh it was a fun way to build an act and the great thing about that was then when you went to these amateur nights and open mics when your friends were up on stage you felt invested in what they were doing because you may have helped them with some of the material that they were about to do that night and so when a line worked or a joke worked, you felt like, you know, you felt proud. You're like, yeah, I played a role with that. I I helped kind of write that. I helped, you know, reword it, you know. But I think about all the friends that I developed in those early years. And now some of them are still my friends 16, 17 years later. Some are still in comedy. Some are not. Um, but you, you realize it's a lot more fun when you have friends uh, by your side, you know. It can be a pretty isolating job, a pretty uh, lonely job at times, um, but it's an amazing job. I don't want to be down on it. It's it's a ton of fun, and it's great to make people laugh. It's great to make yourself laugh. 
but it's also really cool to make other comedians laugh, you know, when you're sitting around just riffing and, and having a good time. And other comedians are the only ones that can really understand what you're going through when you're going through the, you know, the throes of, of a comedy career. They can relate because they're going through the same things to some degree. And so the camaraderie you build over time um, is, is pretty unique to this career, you know, because we, we get split up, we go off and live in different parts of the world. We do different shows all around the world. And so you only run into each other, you know, every once in a while, you might cross over at a comedy festival or someone's in town coming to the town that you're living in currently. So you'll pop by to see them. And, um, there really, there really is a sense of having survived of having like, Hey man, you're still, you're still doing it too. You know, you're, you're, we, you're still, yeah, still in the game. Yeah. Me too. I'm still doing it. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And that, that bond is a unique one, you know? And, uh, you know, I've been lucky to have a lot of great friends in the business and, and uh, we continue to support each other and be happy for each other and uh, help each other when we can. And uh, it's a really cool thing. And I think I bring all this up because it, it kind of sets up this episode of the podcast. Um, this week, I have two friends of mine on and uh, Paul Meyerhog and Damon Schritter. And they are two hilarious comedians out of Canada. And um, they have a fantastic podcast called the Microdose Comedy Podcast that is also here on the Comedy Here Often Podcast Network. And I think it uh, new episodes are every Wednesday and they decided to get together and uh, co-host a podcast. And it's just two of them kind of riffing on different topics and, uh, and, and they're just two funny guys, but more importantly, two really good dudes. You know, when you step into the comedy world and you're trying to find your way and uh, you're meeting people that have more experience than you. And for me, that was the case meeting those guys. They had, years more experience than I had, but they were friendly faces right away. There was no sense of hierarchy or um, looking down on you because you were the new guy. They were just welcoming right away. And um, to this day, one of the hardest times I've ever laughed in my life is driving back from Saskatchewan with Damon Schritter. And I had to pull over. I was laughing so hard. I was driving and I had to pull over uh, I was crying, laughing. I couldn't see the road anymore. I had tears in my eyes. And we, we talk about that a little bit on this episode of the podcast. Um, but these guys also have, have known each other for years. And uh, they've also worked on the Snowden Comedy Tour that may have come through your town at some point over the last bunch of years. Very successful tour. And, um, and so, yeah, they got together now to do their own podcast. And uh, as I said, two of the funniest guys in the biz and two of the nicest people as well. So it was really cool to also catch up with them and see what they're up to. Tell me a little bit about the podcast. And uh, we go down memory lane a little bit, talking about some old stories. So, um, yeah, enjoy this episode of my chat with Paul Meyerhog and David Schroeder. kids look at this paul meyerhog holding a mic a la stand-up comedian where a shredder playing it more uh, i'm a corporate guy i might own a some kind of snowboarding company and uh but i'm doing very well but i'm, I'm very cash very dressed down gentlemen how are you i'm good trent and you can see uh yeah that's a painting of me in the background doing stand-up done by comedian dave nystrom amazing that he is a lord over there i became a lord last year on my birthday <laughs> i was given a lordship that's my frame picture i own uh, scotland i can change all my stuff to like 
it'll say Lord Tritter on my airplane flights now. That's, so this is what a lordship looks like. Wow. So um, if, I, if I'm at an airport, if, I, <laughs> if I'm at an airport and I hear Lord Tritter, I'm like, I know that guy. That guy's, yes. that guy's yeah. a big deal. Well, I haven't got to test it out. I got it right before everything shut down. But my plan is to never board a flight on time for the rest of my life. So they have to be a critter. And then I walk on. Yes, I'm a lord. <laughs> <laughs> Large pretzels for me, please. <laughs> Marhag, do you have any kind of cool title at all? Or are you just going with Paul or Sir or what's... Yeah, in Norway, uh, I'm just a farmer. So farmer hog is what they uh, they call me. I don't have a lordship yet. And uh, and it's nice to be here, Trent. Thanks for I just want to say from Bob Staggett to Damon Schritter and Paul Meyerhog, I mean, Jesus, it's nice of you to ask us, but inside, this must hurt you a little bit to, to, fall, for, to fall from Staggett to the hog and the shred. I mean, good God. Guys, you know, like you guys are big hockey fans. Like you need four lines. You know, you need four lines. You can't play the first line all night. You know what I mean? Their their legs will burn out. You need guys in getting pucks deep. You need guys mucking it up, right? Yeah. So uh, you spread the minutes around. You know, it's uh, no. I, a couple of muckers over the board to kill some time here. All we got to do is get a face off in the. Uh, yeah, yeah, you don't. Yet. You do. You don't do any ozone starts. You know what I mean? I put you. I put you. It's like I'm throwing the other guys over the boards, but we got you guys. No man, I haven't. It's so awesome. Like that's one of the great things about having the podcast is like being able to catch up with people that I haven't talked to in forever because we've all been shut down and can't do shows anymore and as you know the days of bumping into guys in comedy clubs and stuff is like i miss that man i miss being able to go into a club and seeing like oh shit my rocks in town or shredder or whatever and we'd all hang out and calgary was a great hub for that for a long time and then i feel now like even when clubs are open people just don't hang out anymore it's like if you're not on the show to be scheduled it's like well why would i go hang out and just see what's going on like it's just it's just a weird time i don't know if you guys have found the same thing but it was already yeah. doing that before covid yeah People weren't hanging out much. It's uh, I guess because you can go home and watch stand up. I guess you, you didn't have to stay and learn from the guys that were ahead of you. But yeah, I miss it a lot. Not getting to see anybody because there is nothing. And Paul and I planned a podcast where we had no guests, and then two months later, the world shut down. <laughs> so we didn't think, oh, it would be nice to be in contact with people. We really in contact with people all the time. We'll just do a podcast, the two of us, no guests. Right. Yeah. See what happens. It's like, but that was yeah. the cool thing, hanging out, right? Like, Paul, like you'd be like a festival is amazing because you're like, dude, I haven't seen you in four years or whatever. And then you'd all have horrible road stories about how shitty you think. I always described it to people like when you've been in comedy for quite a while, it's almost like there has been an apocalypse. And so when you get to these moments where people gather in a club or a festival, it's like you've risen up out of the bunker to see who's still alive. And it's like, oh, Meyerhog's got water and vitamins. Dude, you made it too. Yeah, I found some wood. Schritter's got uh, some some leaves you found. We're going to be like, you know, just to see who's left still doing this stuff. <laughs> and that, that Calgary, uh, you're right. That, that was the tree fort, man. That was amazing place to... Uh, that hotel, you as the hump of all Western Canada, you got to see so many people. That was the funnest place back in the day. It was awesome, the Blackfoot Inn. Oh, man, it was amazing. And I remember thinking that was what all clubs were. I thought, like, well, I start there and I go, I guess you go to every single club and that's what it is. And then you realize once you hit the road a little bit that that's not the way all the clubs are. Not like people don't always hang out and go for drinks or wings afterwards and all that kind of stuff. But that was, man, that's some of the best days ever. Yeah, well, you started oh, yeah. out in the hub. 
So you yeah. assume that all comics from Canada came through every club all the time and stayed around for weeks and could just go to the other side on yeah. Monday, watch Monday Night Football, have beer wings, catch up with a headliner. The rest of us were like, we saw a headliner guy on his week in town. We'd be like, hey, really like your set. Like, that's good. <laughs> walk right by you. Back to their hotel. We're like, oh. <laughs> I talked about, do you, do you guys remember with uh, the old setup at the Yuck Yucks or Laugh Shop now? How it was like a hierarchy of like moving across the room. So like the amateur stayed in that deep corner over there by the bathrooms, like just in the, like a, like the abyss of whatever. And you had to kind of gradually earn your stripes to move across the room to that upper riser on the other side of the room where it was like, oh, that's where the pro comics hang out before they go on. You couldn't just walk over there. It was almost like, yeah, I don't know how I get into that. Is it, do I need to be invited? Is there a formal invite that comes in the mail? Like, how do I find out if I can sit at that table? You know, I remember doing that, trying to sneak over there and hope, just act like I belonged, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I remember you, I remember you sneaking over. I'm like, oh, yeah. fuck, my Trent kid. Yeah, he's he, he's not going to sneak by anybody. That guy's 6'3 in black. We're, uh, we saw you coming. They always kept me across from the office. They'd oh, like right. to know where I was. <laughs> They didn't want me too far off the off the reserve. Like, let's keep him right across the door, so we can just open the office and go and knock on his door and be like, "Yeah, Are you there? he's sleeping. Yeah. Eh? Good, leave I'm him. Ending. Leave him. Shows yeah. at eight. Let him sleep." I'm, I'm sure the statute of limitations is over on this, but uh, I almost lost my career in comedy. Uh, I think after this, the second time I was invited to that uh, that hotel, I, I hosted a, a party, you know, a room party. I must add, like, I don't know, 20 comics in there on a Sunday or something. And uh, one of the guys had uh, taken a little bit too many uh, hallucinogenics. And uh, during the night, he, he asked if he could crash on my floor. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And um, he uh, he broke my toilet in half. <laughs> and it just kept on trying to refill itself all night. And it flooded four square rooms in the Blackwood Hotel. I woke up with like a vicious pounding on the door and it was the hotel manager. And my workout clothes were like floating in my like in my room. You know, it was a it was a lake. And I was like, what? And I ran to the door like. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what the hell is going on in here? And, uh, and I looked and my, my toilet tank was in half and, uh, and the guy sleeping on my floor was on those couch cushions like a lily pad, of, like a frog on a lily pad just floating in a lake. And, I, <laughs> and she's like, oh yeah, we just got those installed. Sometimes if they screw them in to- too tight, they'll, they'll, they'll split like that. And I was like, yeah, 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 I guess. Yeah, you got to watch that. And so I, I kind of got away with it. But. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. That's right. That's right. I'm trying to get some sleep around here. I'm a professional and I've got a big show tonight. I, I demand a new up, room immediately. You woke up fear and loathing style with like a dinosaur tail taped to your back. <laughs> is what you're describing? Exactly. At <laughs> <laughs> a party. But that was the best thing, man. I remember like when I was still had a day job. I was working with kids and stuff and boys and girls clubs and all that. And I'd work Monday to Friday. <clears throat> and then I'd pick up someone like one of you guys who was already doing it full time and a headliner. And then, we, you know, you'd have whatever blast on the weekend. And then Sunday, we were driving back on. These guys get to just go back to the hotel and hang out and just chill. And I, I got to go. I got to go to a meeting tomorrow and I got to, uh, to be all professional. And, and so my goal was always just to not have to go to that meeting the next morning. I thought if I can just get to a point where I don't have that, I'm good. 
that's uh, the initial goal of comedy. Yeah. You don't have to go to a job. Is <laughs> it starts out like, oh, I want to do stand up. And then you start to see the other stand ups. And mine was like, I worked at a sport mart. And this guy, Kevin, the show, I'd have like a great amateur night. And then they'd be like, hey, we're going out for drinks. And I'd be like, I got to get going home. I got to work at like 9 a.m. And he'd be like, do you want to be a shoe salesman or a comic? I want to be a comic. And then I'd be, and then there I'd be at like 9 a.m. Like, ooh, <laughs> I had to sell shoes hungover. <laughs> Growing up on my lunch break. What's wrong with him? I'm getting into comedy. <laughs> Wasn't the show over at 9.30? Yeah, it was, but there's yeah. a thing afterwards. Yeah. I woke yeah. up every day of that job thinking, I can't wait to be back here and in bed. Like yeah. it was those days where like, uh, so I'd go to work, I'd get home, nap, get up, write some stuff, go do a show. Think I'd get home, I'll be home right after the show and then uh, coming in at like 2 a.m., <laughs> for like a year yeah you can't you can't go long at that clip burning the candle at both ends like that like a man cannot survive um no. after that and that's what made that's what made you really great trent is you were the guy going to boys and clubs meet girl or boys and uh, what is that boys, boys and girls clubs yeah see i can't even pronounce the nice thing that you did <laughs> and that's but that's what made you great is you're you're an awesome stand-up and then and then also an unbelievable human you know so uh, oh i don't know I, I i was just like because someone said to me after my first time on stage, they were like, oh, you must have a performance arts background or whatever. I think it was Denise Ross. Remember Denise back in the day was managing oh, the old yeah. uh, Yaxia. Yeah. So she goes, oh, you must have a performance arts background. I go, no, I've just worked with kids my whole life. So you just have to be able to pull shit out of your ass to try and entertain all these kids. Because <laughs> what would happen with kids is you organize this thing that you think is amazing. It's like a scavenger hunt or something. And then two minutes in, the kids would figure everything out and go, this is shit. And I'm like... Um, hand puppets. Who's you guys like? You just would figure it out. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's how I got used to just being in front of people and speaking and stuff. But it was man, oh man, working like a dog, making no money. You had to change your act. You couldn't just pull the hand puppets out if you were struggling on stage. You had to <laughs> run out of material. Who wants the sock puppets? This guy knows what I'm talking about. This guy knows what I'm talking about. Huh? This goodness. Huh? What was that? Huh? I tell you right now, you could you could tour that. That could be a Vegas show right now. That's, I really believe that. That could be a, a, a residency. Uh, what's Guaranteed. your name? That big living with the sock puppet. Whatever the lady is who had the lamb. The lamb sock Lamb puppet. chop. Yeah, lamb chopping. Chop. What was her name? Can't remember now, but she did Kylie well. Kylie Minogue, I think. Gloria Esteban. Kylie <laughs> Minogue. Uh, there's some, there's some, uh, um, some of those fans out there right now. Kylie Minogue and Gloria Esteban fans, just like, no, no, she was, a, she's a legitimate singer. She's an artist, and for you guys to defame what she's, what she's done, she changed my. <clears throat> Sorry, got a little emotional there. Boys broke broke out. Uh, it's a wonderful life last night to get into the old Christmas spirit there, the old classic. Oh yeah, did you hear? Uh, did a bell go off and did you get your wings somewhere <laughs> at the end of the <laughs> I night? I did, and you you watch it and you're like, yeah, I'm getting older, and so you know that you're further removed from the time the movie was made. But you're like, man, this thing is. There's stuff they did back then. Hey, that was a little bit different. It was, uh, you know. Yeah, I'd have to check it out again. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I just remember as a kid, my favorite part was when they throw 
the, he comes in, he tells about how an, every time a bell goes off, an angel gets his wings and then they toss him out into the snow. And that guy is ringing the cash register. And like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm giving out wings. And it's just he's <laughs> bells and he doesn't yeah. realize he really is. Like he's yeah. the, the guy running the joint. Well, it's so amazing, too, because if you've seen the movie, it's like he gets hammered, runs his car into a tree. You know what I mean? And then all the stuff that takes a turn then and stuff. But it's like never gets charged with drinking and driving. Right. It's just oh, like, sure. uh, George, you OK? You OK? Let me get you home, George. I'm like, that's not, you know. And my girlfriend said, why don't they remake the movie? I'm going, well, they have to change a bunch of stuff. Like that's first of all, it's going to be court. It's going to get delayed. There's a bunch of dates, you know, where it just keeps getting pushed in the docket. It's just, you know, <laughs> just have to, to be- have a, a breathalyzer inside of his new car, you know, blow every time he started it. <laughs> I don't. George Bailey fell on hard times. What's that, Clarence? <laughs> <laughs> that's how the movie opens. I'm just blowing into, into the car to start it. <laughs> Nicole Bay. What's that, Clarence? What's that? I don't George. Think they had, I don't think they had drinking and driving till like, what, 1982 or something. Isn't that amazing? They're allowed to, like, get loaded and put the pedal to the metal. I don't even yeah. think seatbelts were uh, ali- uh, legal yet. Yeah. I remember the seatbelt thing where that was a big deal. Like, I remember the pushback from some folks on that of like, well, I, that's, it's kind of like the COVID thing. Now the seatbelt thing was that back then, like why? Well, what if I don't want to, what if I don't believe in it? What if I just put my arms out against the dash? Huh? Keep myself (laughs) from going through the window. That's my choice, bud. That's my choice. The old, your, your dad's saving you thing with just the arm across the chest. Like that should be enough going at, you know, a hundred clicks an hour. (laughs) Just be fine. You mean that's not safe? No, no, it's not. That's what they thought then. Yeah. yeah. My dad was an anti-masker. Yeah. Back in the day when they, they anti-belter. Yeah, he said that. Uh, no, it would if he was wearing a seatbelt, he'd be dead. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. It was worse than. One time he got T-boned from the side back in the day and he's like if I was wearing a seatbelt I wouldn't have been able to jump into the other seat that's when there was only one big seat in the front <laughs> the, the, slide, have to get out of the, the bucket seat <laughs> yeah no you just slide there was just a bench that everybody sat on in the front of a car that's right yeah. that's right the leather bench that, or the argument of uh, it's better to be thrown clear of the accident you know it's better to go flying through the window and then like stop drop and roll through the farmer's field than just like you know it's ridiculous <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who wants to stick around an accident? It could get worse. <laughs> I'd rather be in this field over here, 13 yards away. You know what I'm about here? This courage, you know, um, don't burn till after the accident. How many movies have we seen a guy seat belted in upside down? There's a bunch of grenades lying around his head. Yeah, that's right. Coke all over, lethal <laughs> weapon style. If he wasn't wearing his seatbelt, he could have crawled out of there, but no. <laughs> every time, every time. It's tragic. It's tragic. How many, boys, how many years doing stand up for you both now? Combined uh, or separate? Let's do separate, and then we'll add it up later. Okay. All right. Uh, I started in 2000, so that's 20 years, I guess, on, on my Crazy. end. Crazy. What about you, Dan? Uh, 96, so I'm a 2-4. Get out. Yeah. Started Olympics night, the night that Donovan Bailey won the gold medal. Man alive. That was a big deal. That was a huge deal. Because we weren't, yeah. we weren't known for track and field at all. 
It was like everywhere. The, we were known as the biggest cheaters track and field had ever seen. Ben Johnson at uh, 88. Is okay, yeah, 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 right. I'm thinking Ben Johnson right. before, right? No, that's true. We we did get a bit of a reputation after that. That's correct. That did stick around for a while. Ended the Golden Boy to run clean. Eight years later. <laughs> it was a redemption story. We can do it, and we can do it clean. Um, did you show up around 2002? Yeah, I moved to Calgary in 03, and so I would have done, went on stage in 04 for the first time. And uh, I remember, man, driving in over to, to that Blackfoot Inn and walking in and not knowing anybody. It wasn't like I showed up with a buddy, went to just go to amateur night. But you talked about like how it was the heyday in that club in particular. Tuesday nights was sold out. Wednesday night was sold out. Like it was just every night, 300 people packed into that place. And again, that's what I thought comedy was no matter where you went. If you go to a club in Edmonton, Toronto, Vancouver, that's what it's going to be. And it wasn't until I got on the road that I realized that. But man, like I was terrified, like so, so terrified. And seeing a comic do 45 minutes to an hour, I was like, that's a marathon. I got five minutes if it goes well. I got five. There's no room. Every The werewolf joke's got to work. And there's no, there's no wiggle room. How about this trend? Did you have the same experience as me starting in Alberta where you're like, hey, I'm pretty decent at comedy when you first start. Like, I think I got this. And then the first time you go to like Vancouver and get on stage and you're like, oh my God, I suck. <laughs> yeah, I had a little bit of that just, for sure. It's like the these tractor jokes aren't going over at all. <laughs> yeah, it's just, the crowds are just so unbelievable in Edmonton and Calgary. You just, you know, it's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Both you guys started in some sort of, I don't know how Alberta had comedy was thumping through the 90s when it was dead in the rest of the world. Alberta was this hole of, of glory where it was a glory hole. <laughs> we found our quote for this episode of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Alberta was still being glory hole. The rest of the country was just a, an empty stall. It, was, it, was, it wasn't going well everywhere else. There was no holes in the stalls, the rest of the country. But you guys had like full Tuesday through Saturday. Edmonton was like walking into a rock show. All he had to do was like say uh, vanilla, whatever vanilla, and the place would go not. You're like, what is going on here? The place is running. Then, but Vancouver was like, uh, it was a holding club for people to get into the nightclub next door. Right. So to bypass the line if they wanted, they could pay a ticket and come and see the show and they'd be like, fucking wrap it up. And then they'd put the up. <laughs> they were there to bypass the lineup because you got in for the same price. So there was like, I don't know, 40 people in the crowd, 28 who didn't want to be there and two owners who were like running, I think they were, I think they were coke launderers. Right. They were just, they were running, they hated comics. They were like, get the fuck off the stage. They hated her. They but somebody said that they wish that they could be treated like wished at the at the Vancouver club they said well the, the quote was that at the Vancouver club they treat their waitresses awful it's horrendous how they treat the waitresses I just wish they would treat the comics as well as they treated the wait staff oh my God. <laughs> the, comics are the least important to these guys <laughs> Unencouraging when I started. Oh, dude, I remember going to those gigs though too. Like, remember when Kelowna had that three nighter at the like Blue something whatever? You went there on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and the you best showed it ever. 
<laughs> and you showed up. And I remember the girl, I said to the girl who was uh, the server at the bar who was taking the reservations or whatever. First night, there was like three people. So I show up on the Friday and I'm like, so what does it look like tonight? She goes, um, no reservations or anything. But what do you guys care? You get paid anyway, right? And then she just walked away. And I was like. It's going to be a long haul. And it may, I mean, and that's a drive from Calgary, right? Like you're in that car, you're wandering through the mountains. Like it's, it's a journey, like, you know, yeah. and to arrive to probably pay to maybe 30 people total over the course of three days. Really? Yeah. I it always seemed pretty full when I was there. Although that was like, Kelowna was just a uh, weed get drinking on night one. <laughs> and uh, just go for the weekend. I'd be golfing in the day, drinking at the show at night. <laughs> When they changed the smoking thing where you couldn't smoke on stage, they had that little like area where you could still smoke. And halfway through the show, I moved over to there. I took the mic over and let it smoke, and then they got up and turned the lights to face me, and they did the show from the smoke pit. So I could <laughs> You make them come to you. You're like, yeah, that's how I do it. Yeah, it was a crazy, that was a crazy weekend place. That's where the... Oh. It was so fun. We used to call that the body bag weekend. It was just three days of absolute debauchery. It was so fun, man. I remember one time I was there with Kevin Stobo, delightful human, but we had a we had a joke where every time we walked into the place, we would call the manager by a different name. Uh, uh, um, uh, I still don't. I still don't know, but it started with an M. So every time we'd be like, Mary Bell, how are you? And then Madeline, what's going on? Just call she hated us. That's the place where I, uh, I went up and I went with the doctor. There was this guy, Dr. Russ used to do stand up. Oh yeah. I remember him. And an actor guy, Kenny, who was like a masseuse guy. He also did. Uh, so I, I had hurt my back. So I was getting, so Kenny was staying in one of our rooms each time. Like one night he'd stay in my room, one night uh, docks or whatever. And so I had this hurt back and it, and it was before the, during the day in the show and the doc had all his pills out and he's like, Oh, you got a bad back. Take uh, one of these, whatever. And I go into his, uh, take this pill. He's like, what, what did you take that pink one? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that was the morphine. So we accidentally, <laughs> my opening had accidentally morphine me. Uh, and I was like, Wah! I was laid out in the bed. So they were calling comics from all around. And if anybody could come in and, cover this show because I couldn't get up. I was morphined out. Done. And so they had to send uh, Dr. Russ was opening. He went over to start the show and apparently I was lying there and they were calling and didn't realize it was going to happen. And then Kenny was with me and apparently, I don't know, 20 minutes after the show had started, I just sat up out of bed and said, Kenny, hand me those pants. <laughs> <laughs> then they put some pants on me, walked me over. I did the show. Somehow I got through a show standing up and then I woke up the next morning I looked over and Kenny was lying beside me in my bed. So I'm like, what are you doing in my bed? And what are you doing wearing my shirt? <laughs> I wasn't a, I wasn't molested or anything. He just uh, had drunk yeah. and passed yeah. out. It was, know, wore, wore my night shirt. He's like, it's the only clean shirt I could find. I just totally innocent. Totally yes. <laughs> it started Dude. off with my opening act giving morphine. I remember you, Damon, you and I were in, uh, I think it was Regina one night at that Fibber McGee's pub. 
um, doing that show that they had there on that run on the circuit. And I don't know what happened, but remember you used to get those discounts at the bar on food there at that uh, at that place in Regina in that hotel. And I went stupid on like a, a big platter of like wings and matzo sticks and it's like how much is this it's like he's like it's like seven bucks with your discount and i'm like yeah that's a good idea before the show and this was like three hours before showtime so i thought i'm good so i woof all this stuff down i go upstairs and an hour later i'm like whoa like i don't i don't feel good and you know that stomach is starting to bubble a little bit and you're like and the clock keeps going and i'm like man i gotta be downstairs now in 15 minutes so i go down i talk to you real quick and i go okay i gotta open the show and i remember being up there and just sweating like just profusely and when you're you guys know like when you're ill that's the last place in the world you want to be man is on stage with a bunch of people with their arms folded going go ahead and go riders and uh you know i just remember like i was speeding through my set like i was not waiting in any pocket for anything <laughs> it was just get through this thing and i brought you up i didn't even stay i went straight up the elevator and i think i just spent some time in the bathroom for a while and i got back downstairs by the time you finished your set and i was like sorry buddy i just had to go just i was just i couldn't i didn't think i was gonna make it and i did I didn't know that you had that problem up till this day. I just thought you were sweating up there having a shit, shit, shit set. <laughs> like, Trent's struggling. He's really sweating up there. The beads are pouring down. Are you steaming for this? Yeah. Anytime I have a bad set, I just tell people afterwards it was food poisoning. I go, I go yeah. you want yourself? I, yeah, I had some bad fish. <laughs> <laughs> It's Always. the whole reason you started this podcast. So years later, you could have, cover your backstory. You yeah, know, like, it, oh, took, yeah. yeah it, it took episode sixty-seven for me to finally debunk that story of <laughs> to work my way up to it. But dude, I remember going on stage with like fevers and flus, and you know where you desperately needed the money and you had to get to that gig, or it was a corporate or just a gig or whatever. And it's like you know, there's no sick days. There's no like you get paid anyway if you don't show up. And and driving through blizzards and oh. it's insane. Like you wouldn't do that for anything else. In your life right like no i remember uh, I, I just gotta add this in because damon and i have a shared story uh just like you i was opening for damon at fibber mcgee's in regina there yeah and uh it was uh you know during the christmas you would do these corporates uh so you, you end up doing like six shows in the same hotel you'd go to this banquet room do a corporate that and then the last show was figure mcgee but damon it, he was treating those corporates like a pub crawl he was doing a shot of tequila at every corporate you know <laughs> So, so we get, I get down, Damon's already, uh, or uh, I get down, I start the show at Fibber and Geese, Damon walks in, you know, I put him on stage and uh, he has a few more shots of tequila. And at the end, I'm sitting there watching the shows. I, I'm working on my Trent McClellan platter, you know, I'm, uh, I got my wings going. And, uh, and then I just hear into the microphone, you just hear this bang. Uh, Paul? Paul? He's on stage in front of a sold-out audience. And I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah? And he's like, come here now. So I walked on stage and Damon had lost the strength to talk. Uh, so he ended up whispering his final joke into my ear. And then I would do an impression of Damon into the microphone like, yeah, I'm a volunteer firefighter. And then he would <laughs> whisper the next one. And then <laughs> we closed. What the crowd loved it. <laughs> the crowd loved it. I gotta go find the fire. And a huge round of applause. Oh, because yeah, he did such a good impression, and all of a sudden, it uh, turned out I can't drink tequila. It shuts down all my muscles. I didn't know that. Wow, you I found it that night. So, 
So my brain is working fine, but all of a sudden I was like, like, you know, when you're like, I can't talk move. So that's why I called him up. So I just sit, fed him the next line and he delivered it like me and the crowd thought it was part of the, they, he did such a good job of doing impression of me that, that that was the, it was turned into a huge closer. I could have put Paul in a suitcase and carried him around for four years with that guy. <laughs> Oh, here comes the closer. Where's Meyerhog? Where's Meyerhog? Here he comes. Call it up, Meyerhog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're trying to book you guys. I don't know if we can always have the two of you together. Is, is there a reason why you need Paul for the show? Yeah, I. it's, it's my closer. It's a breaking problem. He sits around for Paul, Paul sits around for forty three minutes, and then it's just all right. Off with the jacket. Time to go up there. All right, bring the heat. And then Tom Hanky to finish this out. <laughs> the closer. Eight innings comedy. <laughs> the closer. The closer. And dude, I remember doing those shows. <clears throat> Do you remember doing the ones in Cranbrook at the old Heritage Inn there? Oh. God. And I remember when they had the cigarette machine in that back corner. So when you were the opening act, you just sat next to that cigarette machine with the glow on your face while you watch. And yeah, I think, I think closing too, you had to do an hour. So if you opened, you just went up to death, and the, there was no one there, and it was long. And they put everyone in the back, so you couldn't even see anybody. And it had French doors. Remember, like on the side, it was like oh, a set yeah. of French doors. You <laughs> and then you had to sit next to that cigarette machine then for. Like, you know, an hour and change just watching the closing act. And you're, I'm sitting there going, yeah, yeah. Well, shows tomorrow's a new day. You know, I got to fix that one joke about the clown, I guess. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't want another drink. Thanks. I'm good. Just, and I remember going and the show would also be 930 the next night. So you had all day in Cranbrook just sitting around. Like with no, just waiting. You're like, you'd nap. Brad Muse used to do his taxes. He told me he used to bring his receipts every every year. He would do his taxes in, in the Heritage Inn. And then you'd look at your watch. And you're like, it's still only seven o'clock. There's still two and a half hours till showtime. But you could not kill the day. Um, oh, but I remember those. That was the first, first. I didn't get to go to like the Edmonton or Calgary club. I hadn't been to any of those clubs before. The first yucks thing I did was that Cranbrook room from right. Vancouver. That was the closest road gig was Cranbrook. You had to drive basically to Alberta. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, it's a yucks run. You want to open for, you know, send me to Alberta. So I hopped in, drove all the way up to Cranbrook. And that was, I was like, what are we doing? Is this old that they're like, hey, you know, my letter said, this is a great room. Been going 16 years. One of our longest running. <laughs> it was all built up with a great presentation form letter that came in the mail. <laughs> That's when you still got your gig sheet mailed to you. Where am I heading? <laughs> oh, yes. Off to Cranbrook. I'm getting $325. I'm going to be coming back with my day job selling shoes. On top of that, I'm going to be able to buy a new truck. Like, everything was, uh, it was like a, a, a great day of your life. You get in, drive all the way up to buy those every CBC state. You get there and you come, you come you're like, oh, this is very drab. What are you? you know, it's on this dense and sit down in that place by the cigarette machine. And like, oh, there's hardly anyone here. And then and the, the stage starts and they're like, okay, you can go up. And like, all of a sudden, like, you hear like the music. Music sort of any of that this screen right. slowly goes up and reveals a wall of 
dead Xerox 8x10s of old performers that you had only heard of. Like, oh my God, is that Big Daddy Taz? Like, just, all these guys you had heard names of but they've never seen. And like, oh man, they're all really good to go up there. Yeah. They all look like all these other comics behind you. Yeah. Struggle for your 28 minutes, you know, 28 minutes or whatever. And then, oh man. And then my principal was there. Oh, no way. From high school, he had heard I was doing the show and he came down. So, no, that was a later time. I don't want to even get into that. <laughs> did, you, did you play there, Paul? Did you play there too? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Cranny was another one of those like Fairview ones where all the fancy Toronto uh, comics or, you know, the, uh, the, 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 everybody would always end up canceling one of those. So uh, they would use us Alberta boys as uh, a fill in for uh, all the time. You're probably doing Cranbrook like once a month and Fairview once a month if you lived, you know, other than the other It was just like, I was there all the time. It has to be the, I mean, I love Cranbrook now because we go in and play the Key Theater, which is great. Oh, it's and, gorgeous. And, yeah. And it's yeah. a pretty it's a pretty place actually when you like, you see the oh. valley and stuff. I mean it's, it's stunning, right? It's so amazing. It actually completely changed my view of Cranbrook because yeah. I thought it was probably the roughest roughest town in Canada. I thought what, back in the day when you're doing the heritage, there's just always fist fights because there was the the nightclub in the basement of that hotel too. Shotguns. So sitting in your shotguns. Yeah, shotguns. shotguns or, That's the name of it. <laughs> Yeah, so you'd be sitting in your hotel room after a terrible show watching TV and then like a beer bottle would hit your window and oh, they'd be yeah. like, you'd look, you open the curtain and there's a 30 man brawl outside. Like it was just, it was the Wild West, man. It was crazy. Yeah, it's so true too. Like you said, like when people say, what do you think of this city or this town? It, it's all so dependent on where you are in your life or what gig you're doing in that town. You know what I mean? Like I've been to places where I'm like, man, I don't like this place at all. You go back three years later, play a different venue and stay at a different hotel. You're like, is this a different city? Like this is, yeah. is this the same, same place I was at five years ago? Cause I don't recognize any of this, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's amazing when a ticket price goes from ten dollars to fifty. What what type of people you get to, to mingle yeah. with? You know, yeah, you sort out pretty quick, pretty quick. Yeah. I remember too. I think Lachlan Patterson was on stage one night, and Damon was talking about those headshots, and they were old, right? Like those headshots have been there a long time, and Lachlan's up there, and it's like it's a joke would hit, and then one would you know miss, and he goes, "Yeah, what do you think of that?" Nineteen seventy nine, Mike Damber, and he just would point, and he like, <laughs> and of course, none of the audience knew who what he was talking about but I was just in the back howling and he would just keep every every couple of minutes would just point at another comic or make a reference to whoever it was and uh, just stuff you're playing for each other in the back of the room like you just like this is just getting through this thing you know oh. yeah it's funny you mentioned uh, Dambra I always wanted I don't know when I first met him he was a good guy to me when yep. I first started open for him but I always wanted I was like if I ever get a, you know, that's when we they were still panning out development deals and stuff. Right. If I ever get a big chunk of money, I just wanted to where that Kelowna room was. You know how you had to come down through the valley into yeah. Kelowna, where there's all those giant billboards. Yeah. Uh, I always, what I was going to do as a practical joke was if I got somebody, the weekend Dambra was playing, I was going to get a billboard set up with his face saying like this week appearing Mike Dambra. <laughs> but then as he comes in to see it, but then spray paint a giant cock going to his mouth. Like a, like a graffiti. It had been graffiti. So the first thing he sees is his name and he's excited. And then like, ah, <laughs> 
this is this I wouldn't be there to see his, I wouldn't get to see the joke play out, but in my mind I would just be like, This is this is what I wanted to do with my money was set up this prank for Dambra. I don't know why Dambra. This is what you thought about. You thought about man, if I get to the next level, I know uh, what I'm gonna do. That's what I'm doing with my money. First I have a plan. Dambra, let me let me Google billboards in Kelowna, see what pricing is on those. And how much to graffiti? Someone to get to graffiti that thing as well. What? We don't do that here. Really? Oh man. Oh, one man. of those in uh, in Charlottetown right now in PEI, uh, downtown, there's a coffee shop called Kettle Black. And uh, yep. next door, there's a business uh, you can lease it. And I badly, badly want to start a competing coffee shop calling and call it uh, The Pot Calling. The and then uh, kettle black next door. Oh, it's my dream right now. So you don't even finish the. Uh, you only need the pot calling it and then yeah. kettle black beside on the sign. Done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Done. See, this is why people go. What, what do comedians? What trend? What are comedians' dreams? And, and what do you guys do? How, how how do you plan your career? And this is what we do. We go billboards. And someday I'd like to own the neighboring building and, and make a funny sign to go with their funny sign. <laughs> That's what we do. Other people are like RSPs and should I invest in the stock market? And this is where we are. And I, and I like it. This is always good. But dude, I remember too those drives. Like, how much laughing did you do? Like, Schritter and I on that drive back from wherever we were in Saskatchewan. <clears throat> When you start getting that giddiness where you're just road weary and you got that kind of almost like a buzz on from just being on the road for such a long time. And when you and I just started crying laughing about that book title, like to this day, it's still one of the hardest times I've ever laughed in my entire life. Like I, I, I had, I, I was driving, exactly I, I, I was driving, I was driving and I, there was so much water in my eyes. I could not see the road. I put on my indicator going at 110 clicks and I just pulled it over into some abandoned gas station or something. I think it was. And I had to get out of the car. Like how have you ever laughed so hard? You had to get out of a vehicle. Like I had to get out and walk I, around. I think that's the only time I've been part of that, but we were laughing so hard that we did pull over and then we laughed for four or five minutes in the car. And then finally you would have, you're like, I can't, I, it's hurting. <laughs> you have to get out, walk it off. Well, I stayed in the car still laughing. And then you got back and it was another laugh. And then we finally called well, You're probably there. I don't know, 15 minutes. And then we had to go get a Slurpee and a beef jerky. <laughs> the rest of the ride home. Let's, let's refuel. We've laughed ourselves out. Oh, my God. It was just, oh, my so God. Just, those, like, yeah. Or it's silly because you'd, you'd start to calm down and then the other, you'd think it was over and then the other guy would start laughing again and then it <laughs> Go. And like that would have been like that's a decade ago, right? Probably like that. Yeah, probably would, a decade ago. You know? I had one one with Paul where we were driving out of Kelowna and we had this laugh thing going up that hill where Paul and I were laughing so hard he was stamping his feet on the <laughs> bottom of the floor. But we didn't pull over. We drove by a burning down camp. I can't remember what even started it, but we were giggling. We were laughing so hard we couldn't stop, and yet we still drove up a mountain. But he was stopping his feet while trying to drive. Like when you're laughing, and his foot was off the gas. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell the story of what made us laugh. 
Oh yeah, I was going to say you you guys probably can tell that one cuz the the comic you're talking about has the best sense of humor about himself that I'm I'm sure you could <laughs> like he he would be fun, like he makes fun of himself for it or whatever but that's Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that like Angel uh, Angel's claw was, is just the the fucking funniest thing. <laughs> Oh I still laugh to myself just thinking about it. I, I, yeah. I still giggle sometimes just in the shower. Just like, man, that was one of the hardest times I've ever laughed at myself. And, it's, and that's the beauty of humor, I suppose, where you can still laugh at it a decade later. And it's still funny yeah. for the exact same reasons. Yeah, I can just text you angles claws. <laughs> and I laugh every time I pick up my phone and I just start laughing. What's, what? That's just a, two words. What does that mean? That's ah, a long story. Never mind. You had to be there, I guess. You know, um, are you guys missing stand up right now? Like, are you? It's funny because I've listened to some comedians talk about how they haven't missed it. Like they did. They realized they don't need it as much as they thought they needed it. Whereas other people are like, oh my God, like Bob Saget was saying um, last week, he was like, now I need to get back on stage. I need to do it. Like, how are you guys doing with the lack of performing? Um, well, I, I, I got to do a few clubs just recently. Like I came back to Canada to do a few clubs and they're, they're basically all canceled, but a few of them hung on. Um, uh, I needed, I really needed a break. So, uh, and I, I feel like I'm still there. I, I like the break. <laughs> I'm yeah. be honest with you. I like <laughs> golfing. I I'm going back home to, to France here on Friday and I'm so excited just to like play golf and, and write and do, and podcast and like, you know what? It, it's it, for me, it's funny how quickly it's uh, been nice to kind of get into this rhythm. So you, you can put me in that category. I think I, I don't mind having the break at all right now, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'm uh, surprisingly, I, I was missing it more than I thought, but like Paul always tries to grind year round. I always sort of take summer to write some scripts and not do and sort of get away from stand so there's reading so I just thought there's lots of times where I was doing stand up and like oh I just don't feel like going down to do a show or whatever and then but what I'm finding now is you know I kind of like doing nothing you get used to that as a comic but now there's no thing at the end of the night coming in I'm realizing I sort of miss that like it, to break up this when you've got nothing to do so like we did a I did a zoom show the other night and I was excited for two hours afterwards I was kind of spinning around music was on because I had sort of some sort of pump that uh, we missed so I, I yeah. like I, I didn't think I'd miss it because when I do stand up I'm not like fuck I gotta get on stage but now that it's not there I'm surprised that uh, so even when I have a show because I've had a couple I had to go do like the Winnipeg Festival I did the Winnipeg Club I did a weekend in New West here and I did the Zoom thing and every time I'm like why did you go and book this show? You don't need to be doing anything right now. Let's just take a break. Yeah. Get there and do the show. And I'm like, I'm so glad I did the show. So I'm surprised that um, I, it turns out I like it more than I thought or remembered. Um, yeah. So I don't need to do it, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm doing better when I do get to do shows. Something happens. You just get the, the, the yeah. up, you've done something. And, and uh, so I'll go in the missing category. I'm missing it. Right. I think too, for me, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'd like to do it, but I just like focus on the show right now and the podcast. And so you can kind of have, you have other creative outlets, but, uh, 
I also don't feel compelled to write stand up right now or think in that mode at all because I just don't have anything coming up, you know, so there's no need yeah. to go down that road. Um, but I love doing that. I love spending time trying to figure out a bit or why it won't work or do whatever. And I need to get back to that, I think, at some point because you don't know when, especially here in Atlantic Canada, because things will probably open up here quicker than they were anywhere else. So I'm like, maybe there'll be shows again come January or February. But when it, when it comes up, you'll see, because I had to, after the first out of the break, I did New West. And what I did was I went in and just did 45 minutes that I had never done on what had happened. Right. So much has happened while you're there. You could talk and everybody's been through it and it was great. But I got to say, doing that Zoom show, Paul and I did a Zoom show for people in Denver. And wow. I was like, uh, I think this is the way I'd like to do comedy. Really? I didn't have to fly to Denver. I didn't take three days out of my life. I walked out of my kitchen. I did 20 minutes back in, money sent into the bank account. Boom. Show in Denver done. <laughs> <laughs> Sold a bunch of merch. What? I'm going to sell his t shirts. I still got the fun of doing the show. I'm like, this is the way to do it. I didn't even leave my fucking house. <laughs> I'm like, I love the half eaten hostess uh, cupcake over there. <laughs> <We're back. laughs> Ta da. So how did you guys deal with the like, like response or lack thereof of response? How does, how was that? Or could you hear laughter? Like, how are you guys doing that? Uh, um, I've done two or uh, like I, I, we've all done a lot of these uh, lately, but uh, one of them, the, the, my recent two, one of them, they left the laugh, laughter on, like they left people's Zooms on so you could hear laughter. This one uh, from the U.S., from Colorado, we it was all <laughs> muted. So I, um, even though like it was less distracting, um, I really enjoyed the one where they left everybody live because right. um, you'd get interrupted a few times, sure, but at least there was a few laughter. Uh, you something. Know, you, you had a, yeah, something, something to hang on to. But yeah, um, yeah it's. I think it's just a skill. You you just get more comfortable doing it like anything else. You know, as as you go along. I think. Yeah. What I was surprised at was uh, I didn't think I was going to like it because Paul was like, "You are not going to enjoy this. You'll hear me eating a shit sandwich for." 20 minutes in front of you because <laughs> you're not going to enjoy this. So I was like, why did I agree to do this? <laughs> but the surprising thing was because there's no no sound. You can sort of see people laughing in little squares, but you can't really see it because you're kind of like performing stand-up. Yep. But what I found that I liked about it was it just seemed to be that um, I just assumed all of it was working. Right. Uh, it was never. Yeah, it wasn't. There wasn't um, any. Like I just came out and presented, and it, it felt like it was going well. And there was no up and down flows of like, oh, this is going so well. What am I going to follow it with? What am right. I? There was no adjustments. You just kind of got to do your show, and it was also, you know, when you're having a show that's going well, and you're like, oh, this is going. But you see one guy over there, arms folded, like checking his phone or whatever, and all you're thinking is. What the fuck is this guy's problem? Like, instead of enjoying your show going well, you're, you're over here like, I'm going to fix this fucking guy. <laughs> so I didn't None of that stuff went through my head. I just came out and did the show. It went well. And then um, that was that. So it's so it, interesting. Yeah, I know what you mean. You can kind of just get in that flow and just do. You might be. It, it probably felt more like when you're doing the TV 
take right. it. Or so when just deliver. And you're just delivering. Yeah. yeah. It felt like you just delivered. Then you, you, yeah. weren't, you obviously weren't going to be doing any crowd work. Yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> so this guy knows what I'm talking about. Isn't that upper right hand square? All right. Over this oh, guy. Little, actually. <laughs> also, I put in some crowd work. I see Dave laughing. That's a good sign. Jim and Cole, why do I like it? Well, as long as he's not got his hands slapped, there's a thumbs up. Saget was saying that uh, Bill Burr was doing some of those drive-in shows and uh, that uh, one lady just drove away. He's like, (laughs) not just heckle, just like start the car and leave this massive space just left. Like, well, I guess she go to the restroom or she she's done. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, what else can I tell you about myself? Uh, That's just it's such a a unique time. And then like, what if she did just have to go use her? She just backs back into the spot. Like, just just keep going, Bill. You're good. I'm trying to bring it back in here to the. I didn't interrupt anyone, did I? Did, did anyone? Yeah, we all saw you, Helen. Everyone saw you pull out in a cloud of dust. <laughs> oh, imagine, oh man, somebody drive it out because that's something you would not be able to concentrate or watch. And everyone's watching that. Every other person is like, "Oh, that lady's she's driving into the." Up? you don't want to drive right away right you want to warm up a little first before you before you pull out but uh yeah. it's so bumping funny like some, <laughs> bumping some drake on the way i uh I, I think about that all the time about like where your head is at when you're on stage and you mention it too. Like you can see that one person with their arms folded or you do that banquet show, you know, the, the banquet room where it's those round tables. So literally like a third of the audience is not even facing you. They're just back on and they're on their phone the whole time. And they'll just do one of these, like you're, you're performing behind them and they'll just do one of these. <laughs> and then just go back to their phone. And that's all you can think about is like, Everyone else could be enjoying it, but you're just focused on those guys. And I think, who was it? Someone talked about it as your monitor. It's your inner monitor. Where is your inner monitor at right now? Are you in the moment, on stage, in the bit, or are you thinking about all that stuff? And I don't know if you can be as a comedian. You're always thinking about the next bit or how the next line goes after this line or like whatever. I don't know how you guys approach it, but I... When I'm doing really well, I feel like I'm in the moment and it's just good. But when I got too much stuff going on up here, it's just that's work, like literal work. Is that when you start to sweat? That's when I start. That's when I go. I don't need matzo sticks. I don't need matzo sticks in my life. A little food poisoning there, everybody. But trend, you didn't. But trend, you didn't eat before showtime. Yeah, it's yesterday. I had some pancakes that just sat wrong. Um, <laughs> I see it as like, uh, just this last time I noticed first time I've ever taken like eight months off for sure. But, uh, I think if you're doing it all the time, like if you're on a, if you're on a string of gigs for months in a row, then that file index is sharp. So you don't even yeah. have to think about your file index. But what I noticed this time I was telling Damon, uh, that I had some trouble on stage. It was like a drunken Saturday night crowd and, uh, you know, a socially distanced, everybody hammered crowd. And I was searching for that, you know, trouble card, you know, like right. these are the things you do when you're in trouble. And it was just like a empty Gatling gun, like just firing blanks. Just like, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I think it's more that 
like well practiced rather than uh, you, you know you, then you can be in the moment a lot more freely if you're if you're you know you're on a real good string of gigs you know? yeah well when you're doing snowed in I guess you, like it's like you just I'm sure like every night night after night you're building the act as you're going you're adding stuff on like you get in that groove and I love that too when you find that rhythm of doing shows every single night or every second night <clears throat> and you feel like man I, I this is just building and building I can go on forever but you're right you take a break and it's like man how do I start again how did that bit go what was that line I used to do after the, like it's amazing how quickly it can go away and how quickly it can come back you know I'm always yeah. amazed by that I weird I hate it when it locks in right I do not like it when I'm doing like the same like you know the snow did and you're doing the 20 25 and it starts to now it's working and you're doing the same thing and once they start doing it the same four or five nights in a row I don't like it bored like even if it's no it's because then you you do it because you know, and you're sort of doing it but i don't feel as like uh i don't know alive doing it. i don't like it and that's when i get locked into a little bit of fear doing stand-up because it's like this is working so well i don't want to change it up right but instead of like but i prefer it when i gotta scramble like i prefer to not be back in the pocket dan marino style right I like to be, <laughs> figure it out yeah I like to be spinning, running around under panic pressure. I prefer that going in. in, a, in a Foot, footstep Schroeder, we call him. We call him footsteps. That's, uh, he's always. Yeah. yeah, always doing footsteps. Yeah. Oh, he can't stay there. He's not going to stay. He's going to move. He might run it. You don't know what he's going to do. He's going to toss it. It's going to lateral. You don't know what's happening. Uh, uh, you know, Trent, like with your tours, you it's interesting when you start, you know, like I think like a couple of tours in Europe and like seven years of snowed in. And for you, when you're doing your, your own, th you, you have to do the same. Once you get the material, you have to do that material. You have to do that hour because you know, next year when you're coming back, you can't repeat any of the jokes. Right. So you have to stay. And that's, an, that's a whole nother skill that uh, at later on in your career, you'll, like, oh my god like you don't have the freedom to screw around all the time or otherwise you're you're just out, you, you know you're bringing the same <coughs> jokes uh to the same towns year after year you know yeah. unless you're completely surfing like damon does where damon just kind of talks off the top of his head and, and nothing's the same every night well that's what i thought the advantage was is that now when i travel to a new town it's like your travel day that day going it around you went to a restaurant you went to a coffee shop like all that stuff now i'll take on stage because i know that'll buy me another five ten minutes you know and so I love that. Whereas before, I don't think I would have done that as readily. I would have been like, no, I want to just stick to what I do and stay in the pocket, as Damon says. And now I feel like, no, I got to be able to pull from everywhere. Like whatever happened, whatever random thought I have in the moment, he's like, that's all worthy of sharing. Whereas before I was really precious, you know, like it was like, no, this is this thing leads to this and so on. But uh, but Damon's always been that way. I think you've, I've always seen you do a bunch of sets where it's like it's never truly exactly the same. You kind of just you also do a thing where you'll sit for a second. I never saw anyone ever do this before where you just were like, I'm OK with silence here for about 45 seconds while I figure out. And you even said like. Uh, what do I want to talk to you guys about next? I don't know. You know, and I was oh. like, Oh my God, he's going to lose the momentum. He's going to lose. It. And then you're like, no, nah, just pick it right back up where, where it was. I was like, how did he do that? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, remember, I used to have a girlfriend who hated because I used to start by, I didn't talk for the first 30 seconds of my act. I used to go out and maybe have a smoke and wait in the whole place until it finally became silent. And yeah. you panic her like, why just start talking? I don't want you to. <laughs> I like to, I like to pause in the middle. And I do remember that I'd come out for some pal's wedding out in Calgary. 
Yes. And I came down and they all came. It was after the wedding. It was like a Tuesday night. All you guys were down there. It was your amateur night at night was coming in to close it up for some reason because I was in town. And so I wrote the for them for their wedding. I did 20 something minutes on a wedding that nobody else other than them and the crowd had been to, but it worked for the whole crowd. Yep. You guys were like, Oh my God, you got like 20 minutes on a wedding. I'm like, I'll probably never do that again. That was just like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And then you're like, but I always remember you saying like, man, I was, you know, we're sometimes nervous about coming down and trying to do five. You do fucking 20 on a wedding and you throw it away. We got to pick up our game here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if you did after that because then I went on my way. And I don't know if the next week you're like, I'm going down to try. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, well, I think you do realize, too, after a while that it's not fatal, right? Like, if you go up there and you try the new 10, 15 in the middle of something else, it's like it's not fatal. It's like, who cares? Like, it didn't. You always want to have a good show, obviously. But it's like, end of the day. But I remember patting myself on the back if I had a new tag. It's like, yeah, I'm going to change these two lies to these two. I'm a workhorse. <laughs> <laughs> You know how I say Sobies? I'm switching that to Safeway. Yeah. Get the camera ready. All right, let's deliver this shit. You know, like I gotta uh, tell you that there's this one, you know, Damon's pauses before he started talking when uh 2006 we were down doing the Seattle International Comedy Competition. Yeah. Damon won it. I got second place by first first Canadian to ever win the Seattle Comedy. Amazing, but, amazing. And we we were uh I remember it, it was a crowd of probably I don't know, 1,100 people at the Lucky Eagle Casino in some, I don't know what town in Washington State. And uh, it was a bit of a, a rough crowd. Damon had worn a white velour suit with blue <laughs> shoes and Elvis sunglasses. And he walked on stage and he's uh, doing his pause. He's not going to talk until the whole room quiets down. And he's sitting there. and uh, And then after maybe about seven seconds this one clear voice screams get a load of this fucking guy <laughs> and the, the place erupts it was that was the that was the peak of the show i never had opened my mouth that was the highlight of that was the most laughs that the show got and from there it went straight out it went downhill <laughs> And it was just a mess. It was a mess. And I watched. And then Paul, on the same set, was struggling so bad he wound up walking off the stage on tables trying to do comedy from person to person. <laughs> and at the end of the night, it was like I think Paul got. It, there was ten people, and this was the night where we both shat the bed. Like I think I, Paul got eighth, and I got ninth, and I was like. How bad was my set? I saw the shit sandwich you were eating. <laughs> oh man, I was doing um, <clears throat> I was doing the San Diego Comedy Festival. Got to the finals, and up to that point, it was all comedy bookers and club owners and agents and stuff in that area who were doing the judging. But when we got to the finals, one of the judges was Ron Jeremy, and I went. <laughs> Oh, I'm screwed. There's no way Ron Jeremy's digging my stand-up, you know? And if so, out of, uh, yeah, there was five of us. I finished fifth in the finals. And one guy during his set was like, come on, guys, you got to like this stuff. There's a lot of money up for grabs. Come on, please, please. Like, literally, it was going that bad. He was pleading with the audience to laugh. And I finished behind that guy. I was like, how the fuck did fucking guy was literally paying people for votes and I I got him like oh dude it's it's a humbling moment what was that love the beggar 
Sorry? I said you finished below the beggar. I, I finished below the beggar, yeah. And I'm like, and he walked around with his chest out afterwards, like, yeah. And I'm like, no, no, everyone knows. Every, I know what it says and what the record will show. But this guy, <laughs> there's no way I was worse than, the, you know, it was just. That's the record oh. show, read back the stenograph. Wait, there is no record of the show? <laughs> Damn. I guess there, I'm beg. There's no Hall of Fame here in San Diego for this uh, for this festival. But, uh, yeah, that was a pretty humbling thing. But that's a cool thing, too. Like, when you see a hot crowd, or I used to think a big crowd was like, this will be this will be a good time. But there's no guarantee of that. There's never a guarantee of anything. A small crowd could be amazing, and a big crowd could be dead or just not feeling your vibe. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, what you say, like, you think, okay, finally a big room, it's going to be good. I remember there was this kid starting out with me in Seattle somewhere, and he was like, he had had a couple of rough shows, and then it was filled with young people he's like finally my type of crowd i was telling before i'm like ah you don't care about the crowd go out and do your stuff you can't judge a crowd like uh i told him about hot i learned it from hockey when you'd be in a hockey warm-up and you'd see this team where all the guys were in new pants they just looked right. like a million but they came out everybody big slap shots flying around the rink and we'd be like holy fuck are these guys gonna kill us look at those outlet and then we'd play the game and we'd, we'd win like eight three or something like we'd, we'd right. destroy these guys and then so i started i learned not to judge something before it happened and yes. i had that kind of going into stand-up and this guy was like finally my type of crowd and i've been telling this lecture and he went out and just ate it in front of a bunch of young kids oh man <laughs> and then i had a great show i came out and did my show and had this great show he's like yeah you're right about not judging crap. <laughs> I, think, ah, I think i gotta learn that <laughs> He was kind of like, watch this turn around now that I got my crowd. Try and follow this. Yeah. Dead. Dead. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I followed him with a bunch of dirt, just shoveled it onto him. There you go. <laughs> got any wood so I can fix that hole in the stage? Let me just saw this over here and just put some nails in here to fix this hole. But yeah, there's no guarantee with any of that stuff. And that's good advice, too. Like, do not have any expectations. Like, just go in, do what you can in the moment and let it go where it's going to go sometimes have an expectation of like when you walk into a place and be like if it says to you like hey you should probably run yeah that's that's fair like, safety just leave you go into like we don't get that option like you said you drive through the store <laughs> store and you're like well here i am at the gallows <laughs> <laughs> well, well who was it said that who was it said that that about stand-up it said like when we walk into a horrible environment and we look and go, there's 30 people, they're hammer drunk, they're selling pitchers of highballs, they've been drinking for three hours before you get there. You know in your head this is going to be a shit show, but your feet just move towards the stage anyway. Like everyone else would go, oh, no, I, I won't be doing that. I won't be walking up and performing for these people. Whereas we go, this is going to suck. Well, time to head on up there. Like it's just no one in their right mind thinks that way, but comedians do. I guess you're right. I never really thought of that, but yeah, we're like, okay, well, fuck. This is the this is the crowd have been dealt. Power, <laughs> eh? All right, let me set my watch. All right, Two seven. I'm going all in. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I'll be honest with you. Full transparency. I've been at shows where I was the opening act, and I was grateful I was the opening act because I was like, I wouldn't want to have to do an hour in front of those people there tonight. I'm like, what do you want from me? Twenty? Not a problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> And is this your uh, crib in Halifax now, Trent? Is this the crib? This is the crib, man. This is the humble abode here in Halifax. So 
It's uh, love that city. Love that city. It's a great laughing city, man. It's great for comedy. Festival is so well supported, and and shows are a lot of fun here. I think Halifax and East Coast in general, people are ready to laugh when they come to shows in general. Like you know, it's it's less winning them over. It's more like, no, nah, we know why we're here. Go ahead, do your thing. You know, oh, and don't air egg rolls. That's what it's all about. Yeah, me. that's the oh, real shit. They're so good. Yeah. So oh. good. I had to self quarantine when I came here in September. And one of my goals was I was going to work out at least six out of seven days and I wasn't taking doing any takeout at all. So I, I managed to do it for yeah. two weeks, did not have any takeout, no donary egg rolls. But I had my fair share afterwards. I can guarantee that work. What about but the workout part? Did, <clears throat> did that too. Yeah, okay. I did. I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, whatever that is. So 12. what do you do? You're, you're, you're cooking asparagus you just grilling up asparagus in the kitchen there you got a little grilled head ah, asparagus lightly buttered no yeah, a little, little salt there that should be enough for flavor i'll just uh yeah. water is a great nourishment as well as well as vitamins uh, that was the other thing too man when i started stand-up was trying to like take care of yourself i've talked to musicians on the podcast and some of them have said the same thing like man if you don't develop some kind of road routine you know just to kind of because I, I did it the other way when i started where it was just like party every night and you know eat what you want whatever and i realized like man you get in your 40s you're like i cannot you cannot keep that clip i mid-30s i guess i was like man yeah i cannot continue to do it that way i don't know if you guys had that realization at any point but oh, big time i have yeah. i do t25 like i do a uh jazzercise exercise videos every day and i'm sitting like i did one before this podcast they nice. called sean t t25 focus by sean t and that's uh that's my routine and if i don't do it it's the weight comes on so fast and not even not even boozing too much i mean just like eating eating a little bit of preservatives at a restaurant it's just good, <laughs> like good goo would you have jam there's 13 yeah. pounds <laughs> funny. with these guys on the snowed in tour with Paul and Dan and Pete Zedlacher. Uh, so I kind of come in and out of the tour. Like I don't do the beginning cause I don't snowboard or that sort of stuff. So right. I come in uh, when it gets a little flatter or I'll do a week when Deb's away on the BC part and I come for the Alberta part. So I catch up to these guys at times and every year they're working some new sort of diet plan. One year it's like, <laughs> we're not going to, we're fasting for 14 hours between meals. One year we're at 2000 calorie limit and uh, they have all these other things that they're doing. And they're all arguing about calories and we got to stop here and eat something with lettuce wrapped around. It. And what we find out year after year is that these are all just my general natural eating habits. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know I ate less than two thousand calories a day on average. I didn't know I fasted this long. Like, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Change nothing. Yeah, change and nothing. Said, one of my favorite ones is like, yeah, don't eat the whole plate at a restaurant. It's too much. And then you look over at Damon, and Damon always leaves about this much food on his plate, so the chef doesn't get cocky and he, <laughs> he sends it back. <laughs> Just, Keep mumble. Every step of the way, like, oh, yeah, dark chocolate's better for you. You look over at Damon's, like, scarfing down a dark chocolate bar in the back of the truck. Like, just everything that you're supposed to do, Damon just naturally does it. We laughed, really, because Paul was, yeah, Paul was eating this dark chocolate. I'm like, oh, he's like, uh, I'm like, oh, I love that. That's the chocolate I eat. And I really like, this is the chocolate you eat? I'm like, yeah, he's like, of course, this is the only non-weight gain, the health chocolate that you can eat. <laughs> my favorite. You're like, I didn't even know. I just like the taste of it. It's just, like, it's just the chocolate I like. And then even last year, we were at some place and we go down to get some food at the food truck at this, Paul and I are together at this ski resort. You kind of got to bunk up for this one part. Uh, 
you know, separate rooms out, but Paul orders a big, orders some bowl of poutine. And I ordered like, I forget, something you had to eat with a knife and a fork, whatever. So we come back into the, the hotel, like where we're staying, and then Paul's like, oh, you gonna, he goes to sit down in a chair in front of the TV that you eat. I'm like, no, oh, I'm gonna eat at the table, like, you know, like you're supposed to, like at dinner. Get a And then he says, oh, of course you are. It says eating at a table helps digest. Like, it's better than being a, a guy on a couch who's just shoveling it in. Like, I'm like, no, I eat at a table when there's a table. Like, I don't really overthink it. I just, no. I've grown up using a table to eat food. Yeah, your uh, natural tendency is to eat at a table. Instead I know what you're doing. Like, yeah, it's so just motive digestion. Yeah. If, want, if, if anybody wants to stay slim, just follow me around for a week. I'm looking forward to that DVD, that uh, that that health program, Damon Schroeder's Eat Like a Comic, Eat Like a Comic program. Yeah. <laughs> Could he eat like a comic? Drink, drink like a fish. Drink tequila like a fainting goat. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Um, So when did you guys start the podcast? And how many episodes are you into? Tell folks about uh, what's going on with that. Uh, We started, uh, it was our year anniversary last week. Congratulations. uh, Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, we're very happy. We're together. We're doing well. Um, So, yeah, it's called the Microdose Podcast. It's uh, uh, on the same network as you, the Comedy Here Often Network. And uh, yeah, uh, we're going to record episode number 53 today. Actually, uh, when we're done, yours. Yeah. Season, oh, sweet. Yeah, we're coming up. It's season two, episode one. We're recording tonight. Cool. I guess since we're on the second year. And uh, nice. And the Microdose podcast. We don't, the, the, this is why, the, what's fun about coming to do this is uh, you have like guests. Yeah. So we come on and talk, but Paul and I, if, if anybody hasn't heard it, it's just us um, being uh, silly. We just not silly, but funny. Like we don't we don't get into any type of topics. There's it's just sort of uh well we get into topics, but we never have a we don't talk about stand up or right. notes. We just um Paul will do like these trending trids where he gives me a trending topic and then I take a stab at it because I don't watch any news or pop culture. So it's I'm going in blind, Trent. Meyer Hog is your window to the world. That's terrifying. That's, That's terrifying scary. to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Oilers win the cup. You're like, what? That's yeah. (laughs) I shouldn't say I know no news. I know sports news. All I do is read a sports app. So Paul doesn't get you know get me on that. But uh, and then yes, and we're on the same network as you. And we like to laugh that we've only got um, Nickelback money here in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Podcast. Our friend Rory Scoble's got Conan O'Brien feeding his podcast. We get Nickelback. Yeah, yeah. We got Nickelback box behind us. So this is this is it. We take it and we run. We take it and run. Alberta. They're doing a great job. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good to be here. But uh, if anyone wants to check out the micros, it drops every Wednesday. Cool. Okay. The day that yours comes out is that why we're doing this uh, today? No, mine's out on Tuesdays. Um, Yeah. Used to be Tuesdays with Trent. I used to do Tuesdays with Trent. Yeah. Well, they say. If you can get past like seven episodes, like most podcasts die after five to seven episodes because people, they get all the momentum and they're just all pumped up about it. But then you realize like there's a bit of planning to it and a bit of work and you got to kind of do it when you don't necessarily want to do it. And so this time around, I'm fully committed to doing it regardless of mood or whatever. You just got to kind of treat it like you want it to be consistent. Tuesdays with Trent got to like nine episodes, didn't it? Yeah, we got to nine and that's now streaming. 
yeah, yeah, that, and, then you, uh, and then you ate that platter. And you then I ate that, that platter, and I just I was out of commission for quite a while. And people were like, "Can <laughs> you've let yourself go? We can't, we can't, we can't air this. We can't have this out there." You know, yeah, after seven episodes, like I'm just adding tags now. I just rewrite. I just re-air the podcast with some changes I've made. Some changes to the podcast. <laughs> I'm working on this new podcast bit. I just tweaked the ending. On, I've been working on a podcast for a year. No, same thing every week. I just tweak it a little. So it's going to be perfect. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Same podcast every week. Every week. Is he just talking to the same guy again? Yeah, he just replays it. But uh, the ending's different this time. Yeah, he says... Uh, stick he to says, your line, Sagan. You stick to your line, Bob. For God's yeah. sake. Yeah, that was my big thing, doing these big podcasts with people. And after I'd say we'd end, I'd go, that was great. So on the day um, when we would do it for real, what I'd like to change is I think more energy from you. Um, yeah, the middle part kind of dragged a bit, but I thought I'll, I'll, I'll send you the transcript and I'll have notes there. But really, really like, get people to buy in. Like this is a two-week long process to do an hour podcast. You know, there's direction. There's notes. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Thanks for doing the pod. Uh, I got some notes for you. That shirt. Are you going to wear that when we shoot? Oh, guys, I'm that. almost tempted to do it. Oh, to be I'm hilarious. almost tempted to put out the podcast. <coughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? Podcast in progress every week. It's just the same one with a few tweaks. You know, it's perfect. And then get sent in for like a podcast award and not win. <laughs> Thanks for all the nominations. We're really excited here. We just had that one episode over and over again, but boy, that got traction. We had a lot of views, a lot of hits, a lot of downloads on that one. And so it's uh, all it's always episode one. Always. One A, one B, one C. I like one F. I thought one F was your best, your best stuff, but one A was strong too. I mean, that was your first one. It's always it's a learning thing. That's the one when I changed Sobeys to Safeway. There you go. That's where it really turned. That's where the arc really just kind of leveled out and kind of. That's all I did in that whole episode. Watch this. Changing so today. They got to listen. One tag changed, and I'm there now. They listen for the full hour just for that one word change. Like, yep, that was it. That was it. We stuck around for 60 minutes. He changed one word. Um, <laughs> I I often wonder when we're all going to get back together again at some point. Like, when will I have hope that 2021 is going to be as the year goes on, things will start to loosen. But um, where are you guys at with it all? <laughs> I'm going to guess realistically of us all getting together and stand, I'm going to say it's probably going to be fall. Like I think yeah, it'll yeah. start to turn a, a thing through, but we don't, they're not, it's not really fire up comedy and get going through summer. You know, that summer yeah. is always coming. So I'm guessing yeah. it's going to be like, and this October type thing where we start, maybe we'll all wind up at a festival together or something like where we start clubs, start to fire up and we're in the same towns and we're crossing paths again. Like we used to. Yep. Yeah. I think I took a booking for Damon and I, we're going to do uh, Sweden, Denmark, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands in uh, October. And I think Norway as well. So that, that's what I'm betting on. <clears throat> is, uh, Live shows. You're going to be there in person. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, and and they're sort of all agreeing is that that's sort of, you know, uh, that, that that's about the right time frame for everything to get uh, back up and running again. So I, yeah. I really hope uh, that's the case. Well, the problem too is that you're right. If you do it 
before fall, you have no lead up to sell tickets to anything. So if, 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 you know, we can all go live again in March or whatever it is, like you have no buildup of ticket sales or promotion or anything. Like no one's thinking about going to a live show in January, February, even if it does open up again in March. So there's no, you need a bit of a runway to, to kind of build up to it, to put it back in people's consciousness again and to do marketing and all that stuff. So I think fall does sound more realistic. I think we'll be I think we'll be spinning some yarns and some jokes through summer and working on some stuff. But, but mm-hmm. I don't. I, but whether we cross paths, like maybe maybe I get out to Calgary and catch you on a comedy Monday night. We both happen to be there at the same time. Like, but that's right. but the chances of all of us being there. Lower. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. 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 But hopefully it's it worked tough. out. I would like to see. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you see everybody live again. Maybe you should do a. Uh, Tuesdays with Trent podcast festival in Calgary and we'll all come in <laughs> get together in summer get a little QVC sponsor money behind it and we'll, yeah. We'll, uh, yeah we'll come in for a podcast uh, outdoor podcast safety festival just the way podcasts are meant to be exactly with the wind howling through the mics I would love to do one I'd love to do one actually in per, like live with a full audience like I think that I've always wanted to do one of those I think that would be cool to just have a guest and just tell stories and stuff you know with real people in seats in an audience i think it's i'm always amazed at how interesting people find stand-up you know like the behind the scenes stuff like people just see us on stage and they don't really know what it's like to really be a comedian so when you reveal it people seem to to really get interested in it a live podcast doing it for a crowd super fun yeah you've done it yeah yeah i did the vancouver festival and dan quinn and i used to do funnier than gretzky i believe you were a guest on it once yeah 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 and did it live and had different people come up, but it was really fun to have like a crowd laughing and interact. Like that was uh, something that maybe not all podcasters can do, but being yep. a stand up, you knew how to kind of work it in. And the amount of people I had afterwards that I knew that were kind of like musicians or something, they're like, man, I really want to go on your podcast. Like everybody now wanted to go on a podcast, have the experience yeah. like, not live. And they were like, they, it turns out a uh, podcast as much as you think it would be weird to watch this live and be entertaining. I think it's like stand up. I think it kicks to another level when you have it live in front of you. Yep. Uh, which was surprising. I thought it would be bored. You know, I didn't know if people would just watch you sit there and talk to you, like, why are we here? But no, they really, they really get it. <clears throat> I went to see Barry Katz's podcast. Go ahead. Oh, well, I'm just saying. So let's, that's it. Let's announce it now. We've got a podcast festival, June 12th, <laughs> Tuesdays with Brent in Calgary. <laughs> Down at the Eau Claire Center uh, Theater. <laughs> to to be announced, uh, to be announced that that uh, just don't tickets not available yet. Link not up. Link not up. Um, well, people were doing that once tours got canceled and they kept postponing shows. Whereas when I was doing my tour, I was like, when it shut down, I was like, now we're done. Like I'm not playing this game of like, well, we'll reschedule the dates and then wait another month and then reschedule them again. And I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm out. That's it. I'm not going down this road. And I'm glad I did it because it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Well, you didn't have like a TV gig or anything to go to, did you? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, uh, when I, when I, when I, when I, I just said, shut up shop. I didn't worry at all. I'm, I'm going to the woods. See you later. And I just took my backpack. And I climbed a mountain and I stayed there and grew a beard. That's what I did. I'm like, yeah, he's off the grid. He's off the grid. He doesn't need anything. Oh, I would email in Indonesia. Are you still open for live shows in Indonesia? <laughs> you need a host for your open mic? No. Ah, oh, son of a bitch. Uh, do, you, do you find you still scream for uh, like when you're alone in the woods or something? Will you still be like, makeup? You're like, still scream for. 
I'm like, why is that squirrel looking me directly in the eyes? Have it killed. Have it killed. And I really div it up in there. You know, it's it's uh, it's just me. But, it uh, you know, it's, it soothes the soul. You know, that part of me. Talent moving. We have talent on the move. I'll yell out, you know, just as I walk through the forest. <laughs> umbrella. I need an umbrella. <laughs> I remember doing commercials, man. And like they would say that like talent, talent on the move. And you're looking around like, who are they talking about? <laughs> it's like, oh, that's me. I played I played a dirty pub last night. Trust me. I, this is I don't need pampering. Can we get you a water? Did you need a granola bar? I can get it. I know how to get the, the stuff. Alan on the move and you just freeze <clears throat> up. Alan, who are they? <laughs> yeah. I start looking around to see what they're talking about. Like, Jesus, this, this guy's probably a big deal. Who is it? <laughs> just get Hannibal Lecter. Some guy gets a little thing behind you. Alan <laughs> spot. Just drop me on the X. There you go. Let's go. Let's do it. Um, all right, kids. Well, I'm glad. Great to catch up with you guys. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for and, having uh, me podcasting. Yeah, and uh, I want to check out some episodes of the podcast. Congrats again on a year. It's a big deal. A lot of podcasts, as you know, don't make it to a full year. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. And uh, congratulations, Mr. McClellan, on all your success. It's uh, it's really fun to watch, man. It's a a great career. Oh, thanks, buddy. You mean this tree. That's what you mean. (laughs) That's one of my awards. That's just my dad said out of the you were his third favorite cast member on <laughs> at least I didn't finish dead last like the San Diego Comedy Festival so it's, it's good I should get your dad and Ron Jeremy should get together and just have beers <laughs> uh, alright boys man. cheers guys take care good to see you man bye bye bye